Amen. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everybody. I'm Monty. Most of you know me. Um, this is actually the last hot topic in our series for 2011, and I just want to thank everybody for coming out every Sunday morning for the hot topics and for the other for the Psalm series. Um, for those of us that spend our time preparing to teach, we really appreciate it um, when people show up and are engaged, and um, just really appreciate that. And I hope you guys continue to come when we start our series off uh, after the new year. Monty, we do have one more next week, which is on health and obesity. It's not exactly a hot topic, but it is. Yeah, see, I ignored that one purposely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be busy getting fatter. It's the holidays. Just letting everybody (laughs) Thank you, Mark. Yeah, right. So, look, this this topic is... um, I think it's probably the single most divisive topic in our culture today. It is the front line between the two major political parties. It is the front line between the secular world and the religious world. And it is certainly the, uh, one of the number one topics that, uh, that Christians mobilize um, in considerable numbers and with considerable might um, to try to address in our culture today. So I wanted to today um, walk through a little bit of a minefield with you guys because I think, as Mark said, this is a very complex and very personal topic. And if, if handled poorly, um, I think it could, it could hurt people. It could you know, bring up emotions and memories and things that um, maybe would be unpleasant. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about this topic from the perspective of what is our responsibility as Christians? to respond to a culture that thinks that abortion is not only a woman's right, but is a legitimate and okay family planning option. That, gosh, if you happen to get pregnant, shucks, go have an abortion, take a pill, do whatever, and you'll be fine. Move on with your life. Um, So I want to talk about it in that context. How should we respond as Christians? And I want to talk about it in, in all the different spheres of our life, as individuals, men and women, within the context of our families, within the context of our local church, within the context of our society as citizens, and then in the context of the capital C church globally. What should we be doing? How should we be thinking about this? How should we respond? So that's where I wanted to get started. So the first thing I think it's important to do, though, is to make sure that we're on the same page. We're going to come back to the discussion questions at the end, so we'll elicit your feedback. Does anybody know what this is? It's a fetus. Actually, it's not, but thank you. This is a paramecium. For those of us that are young enough to remember bi- um, biology in high school, you probably looked at one of these through a microscope. It's a single-celled organism. Okay? It's one of the basic um, bugs that they teach us about in school because it's easy to understand life systems by looking at this very simple creature. <coughs> Would everybody agree that this is alive? Yes. Right? It meets all the criteria, right? It moves around, it eats, it reproduces. All on its own, right? So that's alive. Nobody would argue that. No Christian would. No atheist would. No secular humanist would. Everybody would agree that's alive. It's, a, it's objective truth. It's alive. Huh? Is it animal or vegetable? It's animal. Okay. It's animal. It's protozoa. Anybody know what that is? Linda would. I saw That's called a blastocyte. That's actually a collection of cells at the earliest stage of embryo development. This is right after the egg and the sperm come together and are fertilized. And this is a cell that's this contains about 20 or 40 divided cells that are the beginnings of a baby. Would we say that that's alive? Definitely. I mean, certainly that meets the same criteria as the paramecium, right? Okay. So I think one of the first questions that Christians ought to be asking our society is why has medical science not come out and clearly and unambiguously defined life as beginning at conception? If we recognize that a paramecium is alive, how can we not say that that's a life? Now, I know some people would want to uh, get into a very lengthy discussion about whether it's a human life or not, but the fact remains, if you admit that it's a life, the rest of it kind of naturally follows because that's not going to grow up to be a chicken. 
That's not going to grow up to be a hippopotamus. That can only grow up to be a baby, a human baby. So naturally it's human from the beginning. These are the ways that we need to think about talking about this topic with people who don't hold the same opinion that we do, that abortion is killing something. Okay, And, and I'm, I'm saddened that um, some of the really, really smart people in Christianity who are scientists, who are medical professionals, don't speak in these terms. Simply, directly, forthrightly about the fact that a collection of cells is a baby from the minute it's created. Okay? I would say it's a matter of politics and there's money involved. That's why we don't have a clear definition. Absolutely. So then naturally, we would all agree that this is a life, right? And I think even many people who are um, on the other side of this issue would say, yeah, that's a human being. And yet they come to a point where they say, but you know what, that human being's worth is less than the mother that's carrying it. Because that's the only thing I can imagine that allows them to say that abortion is okay. They must be placing a higher value on the life of the mother who's out here in the world than on the baby who's still in her womb. So I just wanted to clear that up. Because I knew coming in here, unless I'm completely wrong, is there anybody here that thinks abortion's okay? Anybody? I didn't think so. So that's why I, I took a chance here and thought we'd, we'd all be on the same page. Let's start out with the actual definition of abortion so there's no um, misunderstanding. This is the Merriam-Webster definition. It's the termination of a pregnancy after, accompanied by, resulting in, or closely followed by the death of the embryo or the fetus. And without getting in, into a lot of <coughs> uh, gory technicalities, you know, any action that you take to terminate a pregnancy that results in the death of the baby is abortion. There's a lot of different ways that it's done. And we, I'm sure we all know about those. The interesting part about this, and I want to I unpack this a little bit. When you consider abortion, you're talk, there, it meets three criteria that are really important when we consider how to think about this from a biblical standpoint. First of all, this requires an active choice by the mother. Okay, So, for example... Um, a mom who falls down the stairs and the fetus is damaged and, and is spontaneously aborted has not committed abortion, okay? Because she didn't choose to throw herself down the stairs. Um, now, when we get into areas of, well, what do you do about a mom who's pregnant and is a heroin addict and her baby dies in the womb? I don't know. She certainly made a choice to take the drugs, which definitely contributed to killing the baby. But in this context, we're talking about a woman who sits down and makes an active choice to exercise her right under the law to seek out a medical abortion. Okay, So she's making a conscious decision. Abortion in this context also requires the action of at least one or more persons. Now today it's possible for a mother to abort a fetus on her own without medical assistance. Right? She can take the RU486 pill, uh, which is known as the abortion pill. Uh, in which it basically uh, sends a, a hormonal signal to the uterus to expel um, uh, the fetus before it, uh, before it implants itself in the uterine wall. Uh, it's only effective for, what, like the first four or five days after pregnancy, something like that. But So now a woman does have a pharmaceutical choice that she can make by herself, right? And in that context, I wouldn't say that the pharmacist is necessarily participating in the decision because he's not helping her make a medical decision, whereas a doctor, a gynecologist who performs abortions, um, does generally consult with a woman when she comes in and says, hey, I want to have an abortion, and they're going to talk to her about the risks and the procedure and all that. And certainly that doctor is actively involved in the taking of that life. So in this context, it involves not just the person who's making the choice, but it also brings another person into this sin activity as well. Okay. And again, it definitely results in the death of a person. There's no ambiguity about this. A successful abortion takes a human life. Okay. Our key scripture today couldn't be simpler, frankly. Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. And I use the ESV version because I like the word murder. I think it's uh, more apt, frankly. Uh, 
on this. So let's let's really dig into this. So the Hebrew word that's used in Scripture is called rasaf, which is translated in English as murder. It has a more uh, nuanced meaning, though, in the Hebrew. Uh, it, what it really talks about is a killing of someone who's under the covenantal law. Uh, so I took from, from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary here. It says, Rasab probably had a specialized meaning. He means within the context of the Jewish community at the time uh, that, the, that the Exodus was written. It says, possibly in connection with the killing, whether premeditated or accidental, of anyone in the covenant community. So that's anybody who's covered by the, by the covenant. It says, the sixth commandment, therefore, protected the individual Israelite within the community from any danger. It was designed to say, so if somebody comes in and kills an Israelite, it's of a different status. The, 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 the crime that's been committed is of a different status than if you kill a slave, for example. It says, only God had the right to terminate life. Let me say that again. Only God had the right to terminate life. This was the foundational belief from the earliest times of, of our faith tradition. Okay? It says murder was an abrogation or breaking of uh, God's power that ignored humanity's created nature and value in the sight of God. So to put this in a, in a you know a Psalm 139 kind of a spin, you know God holds each one of the lives that He purposely creates as being special and beautiful and precious to Him. We have to remember that, and I think this is another point that we can speak about when we're talking to somebody about this topic, we need to remind them that a baby isn't just a happenstance coming together of a couple of cells and some chemical reactions happen. That is a purposeful, created being by God at that moment that that happens. There's not just chemistry taking place or biology taking place. God is actively creating a human being. He knits us together in our mother's womb. Scripture's clear. So when we talk about abortion, we are talking about murder in its most basic, most horrible sense of the word, in God's sight. Okay. I want to talk about a couple of key questions here. So you guys had a little discussion on this. So based on what we said, based on your experience in our society and just living... Do you think that abortion satisfies the biblical definition of murder that we just laid out? And I'm talking about in all circumstances of abortion. Does it satisfy the biblical definition of murder? Does anybody disagree with that? Can you think of any circumstances where it might not rise to the the biblical definition of murder? What about in the circumstance of a mother who is, who is going to um, die if the baby isn't terminated? Then there's a bunch of different medical reasons why that might be. What about that? I don't think it changes at all. I mean, you, you have to look at it differently, but it's still, the definition is still the same. I believe that is the one exception we have to make. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Why? Um, because you have two lives that one will definitely die if you try to keep both alive. Is God sovereign? I'm sorry? Is God sovereign? Yes, He is. Can God sustain the life of that mother against all medical odds if He so chooses? Yes, He can. Does that mean He will? That means we have to sit back and, and, and wait to find out whether he does. Yeah, but that was down to his perfect plan. Then maybe that mother's supposed to die, and that baby's supposed to live. So why don't so we apply? Live. Why don't we apply that same standard to cancer? Why do we? Why do we even bother to treat cancer then? I think that question comes up in a mother that has is carrying a baby and has cancer. I'm sure that goes hand in hand all the time. You bet. I'm looking at you. <laughs> um, two things. I think abortion would be murder because you're making the conscious choice to kill that child. You're stopping it before it becomes anything. <laughs> because no, because good, because you're, you're you're applying what we just said. Exactly. Right. You, you, yeah. We all nodded our head on. Um, you're you're using that in a, in a wise 
approach to making a decision. You remember. <laughs> Uh, yeah, why like why go after cancer? It, why help it? Because it does. Well, first of all, more than half the world probably doesn't believe in God, so it doesn't matter to them that oh well, he knows what he's doing. This is for a reason. If I know a girl, she died at the age of sixteen. I don't know why it had to happen. I still don't know why, because her brother's still a mess. But I don't know. Maybe. Somehow, sometime, not now, he'll work his way through that. Mm -hmm. So it's just all in his plan. Question is. Thank you. John? Yeah, I, I think we should always err on the side of life, uh, save baby animals if possible. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess the uh, thing I'm wrestling with <laughs> is um, you know, what if the mother is not a believer and doesn't have the same values that I do? Um, I would say that it would be right uh, in terms of a Christian or Israel in this case in the Old Testament to, to save both if possible. But um, it's hard to judge uh, the non-believer. It is. It is. And that's where I think we'll, when we when we get to talking about how, what our response should be in our um, civic sphere that we all exist in. I think we need to really temper our response with, with that kind of wisdom about the fact that a lot of these people we're talking about aren't Christians. So, should we really be trying to write laws that, you know, are imbued with our values and not theirs? So, we're going to talk about that. You know, being in a medical, you know, just when, when an instance like that comes up, I think that in medicine, that's what they're trying to do. You know, I mean, I think that... All your training is about saving lives. Right, right. I mean, it's easy, you know, and to me, you know, just... That's what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when it comes right down to what you're defining as abortion, where it's, you know, like this mother says, oh, I might die. I'm gonna, I mean, oh, golly, it's a tough, it's really complicated. <laughs> yeah, and, and when we get down to the part about what our response should be, I, I, this is, I'm doing this purposely. I want you to feel a little bit uncomfortable right now and a, and, and a little bit of tension in your mind about, gosh, I really agree on the one hand that this is murder, but bye, there's some really good reasons why we might want to make an exception here or an exception here. I would just say, too, that the um, the percentages, truly, of the number of people that this question would come up with is very small. Very small. The uh, amount of medical mm -hmm. advances that they have to be able to support a mom's life and and whatnot, um, it's really... It's changed even in the last 10 years, hasn't it? Yeah, it's really very... Yeah. Small percentage choice, mm -hmm. and then, and then it it seems like so much of an individual thing too. You know, mm -hmm. is she a mom with four other kids at home? Is she, you know, there's so many other choices, things that have to sure. figure into the mix and uh, it's a kind of has to be a thought out, prayer out decision of the family. Gotcha. Okay. I agree. Our next question is: How should the Christian respond to the legal? option of abortion. Now, I'm going to, I'll just confess, I would rather live in a society where a legal abortion is possible so that the chances of a woman dying as a result of this potentially sinful activity is lower. I think the way it was prior to the law being uh, put in 1972, it was an even more horrific scenario where a woman had to make a choice or felt she needed to make a choice like this and she was potentially risking her life in a very significant way to make that choice. So I think that, again, as Christians, when we respond to the, to the question of do we want to you know, make abortion illegal, we need to kind of have a, a little bit of a historical perspective and a little bit of common sense about what would a society look like where abortion is illegal again. So with that said, though, how should we respond then to this, to the reality that we live in a society where this is a valid choice for our daughters, for our sisters, God forbid in some cases for wives, even in the context of a marriage. Um, how do we respond? The history in this country has not been good to passing laws, forbidding things. Every time we do it, we bring up this whole underground, unsafe, 
thing to fill side. It just doesn't seem to work. Prohibition is a great example. Prohibition is a great example. Drug trade today. I mean, we're just supporting all these countries, and there's so many things we do. We can't even stop people from running red lights. Just the simple stuff. If, I mean, I'm not saying we don't need laws. I'm saying that people, some people just will disobey a law just because it's there. Well, I've, I'm sure everybody's heard the phrase, you can't legislate morality, yes. right? Yeah. You, can't, you can't force somebody to, to act in a way that's contrary to their very nature. And man's very nature is to be sinful, right? right? Well, I wish, I wish we could, um, in the legislature and so forth, uh, have, have some common sense in regard to this. I, I think it should be limited, uh, very limited. The more you legalize something, the more you handle it, you know, period. Uh, so I think that there should be some limitations, but um, it's hard to, to get both sides of the aisle to agree on anything. And I think this is an area where um, science, medical science in particular, has done a great disservice to our country by not taking a stand. Because if you poll doctors, most doctors would admit in a quiet moment that, yeah, I mean, a, a, an embryo, I can't collection it, it's a human life. But it's politically third rail for a doctor or for the AMA to come out and say, mm, geez, that's a human life because the ramifications across our society and for this law are huge, right? And the other side of this issue has a very powerful lobby with lots of money, right? Yes. George? Well, this is, you know, this is the same problem that we have with uh, evolution versus creation, that the truth and all the information that's available has to be suppressed in order to keep it legal. And I, I believe that if the, um, if the information was allowed, we wouldn't have to worry about legal abortion, but it is so suppressed by those who have a profit motive. Uh, just the same thing with the creation-evolution argument. That's why it's, it's still available. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the only reason. And so, no, I don't believe it should be legal in any sense of the word because women do not understand the ramifications after it's over with. And what happens, there's a, a very uh, strong medical report that indicates that um, uh, someone who terminates their, their uh, pregnancy will have hundreds of times more chance of having breast cancer. It's a, it's a natural process that, right. of course, God put in there. But that report uh, is suppressed and will not be, it's not available anywhere because it's, it's so damaging to this particular issue. This is where I think that uh, the Christians that have the stature within the medical community have an absolute responsibility to speak up. You know, um, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a Christian coalition within the American Medical Association or within the P Pediatric Association to come out with a definitive statement on when life begins? Now, all of a sudden, then that would be polarizing within the medical community. You'd have this group of people who are on the other side of this issue that would have to defend why they feel that that isn't a human life when you've got all these other medical professionals saying it absolutely is. And then they could duke it out scientifically in front of people. Exactly. Exactly. Get it. Uh, as far as legislating morality, I'm not sure if you're supporting that or not, but uh, you know, I think that refers more to the inner heart of it. We cannot, of course, legislate the inner heart of men, but as far as the laws for the land, we can and we should, I think, as Christians, fight for the right laws. Laws that are applicable are uh, you know, support for the God laws. Okay. Well, I, I think it's a misnomer to say that we can't uh, legislate morality because we do. Our laws are should be based on the Ten Commandments. Um, however, um, uh, and, and so I was using that as an example. I don't. I don't feel that way. Just so yeah, you know. Well, I mean, murder is against <laughs> the law. You know, yeah. so there's an example. Um, uh, however, uh, and so I should say it again that you know, again, the more you legalize something, the more you have of it. So you need to uh, um, you need to legalize, or, or I should say, make uh, immorality illegal uh, to the extent that you can. And, um, and, and fewer people will, will be immoral. I believe that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, that's really what Romans says, right? I mean, Romans screams mm -hmm. that, when, that when the law exists, that sin abounds. Because mm -hmm. it's, right. there is, now there's a definition of 
a failure. Yeah. Failure is a definition of something mm -hmm. as a standard, which is yeah. but something that by which there is a, me a measure. Yeah, now you can measure it, so right. you can yeah. see it more. Yeah, I, I want to clarify. You know, I didn't say I, I didn't really mean that it shouldn't be. You know, it shouldn't be legislated against it. Mm -hmm. but, I, but what I'm talking about is, if it's legal, you 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 have to provide every aspect of information and so on mm -hmm. to give a, a correct choice. That's the only way that I would make it legal. Sure. Because you know that the speed limit on our tollways is 55. No one <laughs> obeys that law. Not anyone in this room obeys that law. We do whatever we think we should do in our own hearts. Even Christians will not obey the 55 uh, mile an hour speed limit. Right? So there is no reason to legislate even a 55 mile an hour speed limit, because people are going to do what they want to do. Even in the 45 mile an hour zones where the workers are being killed, nobody follows that. Right. All right? So you can't legislate and say, we're not going to have abortions any longer, because nobody will follow that anyway. They'll do what they want in their own heart. Right. We have a law against murder, but we got people shooting people to death on the south side all, all night long, every night. But I, so, do, but I do think that what John's trying to articulate is, and I think her brother well too, is that um, just having the having the law explicitly defined does curb things, whether or not the heart is there, just due to the effect that will come if if somebody does that yep. and is caught. And that's where I was going. And that's where I was going at the beginning of, of this. And, and this is where I think that this is a little bit different of an issue than, say, the speed limit. You know, if we had a speed limit or not, the, the impact on human life at the end of the day might not be all that different. Here, though, if we if we go back to the 1960s and 50s and earlier when abortion was illegal, thousands of women died every year from from the results of those procedures because they were done in unsafe places by people who maybe weren't even qualified to do them. So I think that this issue has um, some other pieces around it that have to be taken into account. I agree with you, though, that there's a that nobody does a good job today of explaining to a woman what the medical ramifications are, what the other valid and excellent choices to abortion are, what the emotional damage for a lifetime is going to be after. I, I don't think that is done well or at all, frankly. And, and that's something I think you could improve the law if that was brought into place. Nick? I think that with a law in place, mm it only increases our responsibility. You can't put a law out there and not take responsibility for it. We as Christians then are even more responsible. If we push the law, now we need to educate. A young woman comes to our door wanting to have an abortion and is hurting. What is our response? How far are we willing to go? That was an outstanding lead in. <laughs> see, me, see me for a $5 bill afterwards. <laughs> so, as I was thinking about this topic, um, and I have personal experience with this topic, um, I went through, I encountered this, this issue at 16 years old. My cousin was a year older than me. Well, got pregnant. She had sex with her boyfriend, got pregnant. And in New York State at 17, she was uh, of legal age where she could go seek out a procedure without notifying her mother. So she came to me and asked me to go with her um, to Planned Parenthood to go through this process. And I did. I loved her. She's like my sister. And, um, you know, I, even at 16, I knew in my heart of hearts this was the wrong decision. But I also knew her mom. I also knew our family, and I knew what she would go through there. And um, so she made the, the, the choice to have an abortion. So as I was thinking about this, um, you know, now I'm 45, I'm a dad, um, lived a lot. Um, I realized that there's a lot more to this topic than just how do we respond when somebody comes to us with a question. We have different levels of responsibility 
as adults. Um, and I think those different levels of responsibility should inform the way we think about and the way we respond to this level of a topic in our society. Always we come at this from a biblical perspective. Always we bring our full faith and the full grace of God and the Holy Spirit into these decisions and when we speak to people about it. But I want to talk through what our responses look like in these different spheres of our life. First of all, there's the individual sphere. And I'm going to say something that's maybe controversial, but um, I believe that this is a very different conversation when you're talking about being a man or being a woman. I know that I am never going to have to wrestle with this topic personally myself because I'm pretty sure I'm never going to get pregnant. <laughs> Stop it, Ben. <laughs> so, so in that context alone, I think men come at this from a very different place. We come at this from almost a purely intellectual realm, you know? or a little bit of emotional if it's somebody that's close to us. But there's no way we can even put a toe in the water on this topic like a woman does. It's a very different thing. So in that, response, in that respect, I think that you know, men think about this fundamentally differently than women do. Mark? Just to um, build on what you're saying, um, but a little bit of a slant, you know, the place where I think it, it might be radically different might be in a husband-wife or a situation maybe where, you know, a, a, a man is, is a believer, something happened, whatever, yeah. you know, and, and yet if that other person wants to have the abortion, and then all of a sudden maybe this is a part of the process because God's like reaching into his heart for sure and saying, you know, what's going on really, and then having to kind of deal with that, you know, and we're going forward. So there's mm-hmm. a component of that that I can just, I can only imagine well, and I would say, Mark, that that goes into that next level because, again, yeah. what I'm trying to bring out yeah, here yeah. is that I'm never going to have to make yeah. the choice of whether yeah. to have an abortion or not. No man in this world who's ever been born or ever will be born will ever make that decision. Right? After the fact, I felt like I was accomplished an abortion when we babysat the son of a friend who went with another her friend to have an abortion. And at the time, it seemed uh, the right thing to do. We were just trying to minister to these people. The one having the abortion wasn't a believer. And, uh, and it's, it, just, it was just tough. Yeah, it is. Um, so how do, we, how do we respond to this then at the family level? You know? Um, supportive, like, in a better way. Um, the problem with abortion is, yes, you're killing any human being, you're killing life. But what is that baby going to go home to? Is it going to go home to the trailer park where the mom's a drug addict? Is it going to go to a support family that will love it no matter what? We don't know. So it's difficult because you don't know how that child is going to be raised or if later in life that child's going to be abused or grow up to be a doctor. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just everyone has to make their own choice, kind of, but... What do you mean by that? Everyone has to make their own choice. I don't support abortion at all. I don't like it. But what do you do when the mom's not ready and it's not the best situation at home? So like you can always go for so, so, so let's take that as an example then. So what, what should our Christian response be to... Um, a young woman who has been raped by her father or her stepfather and is going to um, either have an abortion or have the baby. But if she has the baby, that baby is going to go right back into that home, into that horrible, abusive situation. How do we navigate that? I mean, is that, is that fantasy? That's real life, right? That's real life. That happens all the time, unfortunately. How do we navigate that? I don't think we can judge what God will do with that child. And so I think we always have to err on the side of life and minister where we can. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just so complicated. You know, <laughs> I was just when, it, when we were talking earlier, I was just thinking about, you know, how we talked about how Jesus responds to the individuals going, you know, in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of Genesis, how God responded to Cain. 
you know, it's just, it, it really, you just need to not get at the heart level. Because the abortion is the product of what's going on in someone's heart, you know. So this woman who is so deeply injured by what happened to her, you know, you just got to start in her heart, you know. Why, you know, I, I don't know. It's just so hard. It, it's very complicated, but I think you just got to start at the root of, you know, the decision to have abortion is the final decision, but never gently and carefully and lovingly in addressing, you know, her injury. So no, one, her of the things that, is, uh, one of the things I think, go ahead. I think it's more of, I think our response would be to get her out of the situation, to remove her from that, not to remove the baby, remove her from the situation, help her get out of the abusive, sexually abusive relationship she has with her father. Take her away from that, and then and then work on the rest. You have to remove her from what the initial problem is. Right, meet her where she's at. Meet yeah. the person where and they're at. And if you can help her to get into a, a, an abuse program or a young mother's home or whatever it is, I don't know. But that should be the first process: is to get her in a safe place so that her and her baby are safe, not think of how to make it less complicated because it's already complicated. Right. And, and I think it's interesting It's interesting that we're, I think we're uniquely blessed as a congregation especially because we have an example right in our midst of somebody making the right choice in a very tough situation and, and we all see the blessing running around this church every Sunday. <laughs> you know, uh, so we can speak very directly to God is sovereign. God can redeem any situation. And a baby, no matter what the circumstances, is always a beautiful, miraculous blessing. Okay. I mean, I I know people that have that gave up a baby for adoption. You know, yeah. she made the the mistake of getting pregnant, and she she knew she couldn't get get an abortion. That was against her beliefs. So she, you know, she found a good family, and yeah. she got to know that family. And when she gave birth, she gave that baby to that family and let that family raise that baby. And, she doesn't have any regrets. I mean, she she feels bad that she had that situation, but she knows she did the best thing. I think that's an area in our society too with abortion or uh, with adoption, adoption is that you know, boy, if, if imagine if Christians really applied our muscle to an issue, if we were to say, hey, uh, states, can you make adoption a little bit easier for people? Maybe just a little cheaper, easier. Well, I mean, but I mean, less less onerous from a com- complexity standpoint, so that people don't have to wait two or three years to adopt a kid and, and literally walk over hot coals to get one. Imagine if we applied our our political power to that, you know, because then it becomes a much easier decision for a young lady who's in that situation, and many people can be blessed. I used to have a youth group in the church I was at, and one of our girls got pregnant, and it was. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. She weighed all the options, but she was a Christian. It wasn't a good situation for her, but she understood what she was in. And the adoption process was what she chose. The only reason we could make it work was because we knew we had a lawyer, mm-hmm. we had a family. We did private adoption. And yeah. we did it all private. Yeah. But yeah, it was. If we had gone outside oh, that, it would have been so crazy. hard. Too many hands in the pie. Yeah. How do we respond as a church body? How is our response necessarily different? And how is our responsibility different when we go from a family context to the church body context? Mark? Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, this is the beauty of, of the body of Christ, you know, and, and the, the fact that we have um, uh, counsel. Of the Word of God, and this is just one example. I would suggest huge, huge opportunities that exist within the body of Christ to bring wise, bring wisdom, you know, from the Scriptures in a multi-dimensional, multi-faceted orientation around the problem to bring out what is the right decision to make in any given situation or circumstance. What a, what a value! What a priceless treasure to have. And that's amazing. And why doesn't that happen more? Is the question. I agree. I, I think that people still find themselves alone, uh, making 
life-altering decisions in a vacuum judged, without... Judged and criticized. In the church body, I think people feel often judged and criticized as well. My sister got pregnant mm-hmm. when she was 19 and she wasn't married. And my dad, I mean, it was horrific. My dad, you know, had a, no, he wasn't a pastor, but he was like the head elder. And, and it was quite the time for our family, but it was a neat time because the church body did come around. It was an exercise in learning to put into practice what God's Word had to say. And our our church pastor and church body came around our family. And it was a real learning opportunity for for the rest of us. I think, again, we as a church body are blessed because we have direct experience with this. But I think we all know that, that there are many churches across this country who maybe don't handle topics like this with as much grace and compassion as they should. Um, and not just this topic, other topics. You know? I think we had a good test case in our own church family with the Salvaggio family. That's I they had a, yeah. a you know, wonderful outcome. And that was the case of the rape. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and when, you, when you look at how God redeemed that situation and turned... Not only Angelica's life and testimony into a blessing for others, but also that child. I mean, how many people does that <laughs> that little kid bless with her smile and with her hugs every week? You know, so it's it's pretty awesome. I, I think there are similarities in the family and church body scenarios in that first, the individual has to be grounded in their Christian faith. The difference is that in the church body, you have a wider foundation. And some of that foundation is firmer and has more support capability. You've got more, you've people, got more, more wisdom people, than just your own people people to work with the individual. Absolutely. And to Mark's, point, individual. to Mark's point, I think that's where... Um, I think this is where Christ's intention for the church is most... Uh, obviously lived out or most obviously manifest is when the stuff hits the fan how do we respond in love and in encouragement and in you know good counsel to one another this is what the purpose of the church is clearly it's you know we're supposed to worship together but this is the good stuff this is the stuff that changes lives right it's the stuff that brings life out of death absolutely you should put that on a pillow brother <laughs> Now, this is the tough one, and this is the one where <clears throat> Christians as a body tend to fall into a bunch of different buckets. Um, you know, as Christians, we exist in a very bizarre dichotomy, right? Because in one sense, we are citizens of a different world, right? A world to come, um, and we're just kind of trapped here temporarily. But we also have to exist within the context of the society that we live in. And I think we live in a pretty great society. We're, we're, we're blessed in that regard that God plucked our souls down on the earth in the United States of America and instead of some other places. But what should our responsibility be as a citizen of the United States when we wrestle with these topics in the public forum I'm talking about now? Should we be picketing in front of abortion clinics. Is that a proper use of our influence as Christians? But should you be standing across the street and praying, you know, maybe not necessarily making a big to-do, but are some called for, you know, some sessions? Yeah. You know, I'm just on that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of issues that we need to make sure that we make a definite stand on, but yep. I don't think that we need to be, like you said, out out front picketing and chaining ourselves to the doors no. and being radical about it. I think that just pushes people the wrong direction when they see that. You know, I think I think to be intent in how we live our lives and how we prove our points is one thing, but to to manifest it in a crazy way is completely different. I remember living in Buffalo, New York in the early 90s, um, and that was kind of ground zero for Randall Terry's uh, movement at the time. They were in town that seemed every month uh, protesting again. We had a, a very large 
Planned Parenthood Center uh, in downtown Buffalo. And they, I don't know, they did something like three or 4,000 abortions a year out of that one clinic. It was terrible. But anyway, Randall Terry, I remember, they used to come to town every month, and they literally shut down traffic on Main Street, where this clinic was, and they would create a, 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 a phalanx of, of people behind a police barrier, and they would leave about six feet wide, and they would be there chanting and screaming with their picket signs and, and horrible pictures of aborted fetuses and whatnot, and the, the Buffalo police would have to escort each poor young woman that would come to that clinic, and she would have to walk through that gauntlet of screaming Christians. And I remember, and I, and I wasn't where I am in my faith walk at that time, but I remember saying to myself, I can't imagine Christ participating in something like this. How does this help anybody? How does this, how does this you know, further the goals of the kingdom, and how does this help this woman to make the right choice? So I think we need to be very sensitive about how we respond in our civic context. Should we use our vote? Is that a valid way to yes. get our point on? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark? I just think of Second Timothy um, 2 um, says, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. Um, but, but this is the point. And the Lord's, but the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, and able to teach, patient when wrong, if perhaps God may correct them, may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So, you know, I think if we, you know, approach it, it's not like as though it's not important. It's not like as though it's, like, crucial if, you know, if you believe that, that a person is being killed. Um, uh, but it's, it's how you engage the culture that will win them or you know, push them away. It's not like as though you shouldn't wrap up and go home. It's, it's about, exactly. it's about um, sort of going on steroids with it. But it's all about how you do it. And I think that, that brings, brings one closer to being winsome. Yeah. I've always wondered why we don't have a nationwide network of Christian counseling centers yeah. where we sit down and we talk to a young lady about her options, about responsible family planning about how not to get in this situation in the first place <laughs> by staying pure if she's outside of marriage about adoption about the Bible <laughs> and don't you think though that um, that's where the law I mean because the law restricts I mean it doesn't restrict but you know there's a lot of stuff that's going on out there where things are funded where other things aren't funded there could be a national but and there is there's the possibility of it, but it's so it's so pressed down. I mean, because other people have a different kind. Of, you know, it it's just sort of a little lopsided how those things are taken care of. You know, I think we use that as an excuse, honestly, Connie, as Christians. Well, sometimes I, mean, I think we I, I, I think, I think we, we excuse ourselves. I think the church body has a huge responsibility, and it. it shouldn't stop us. Yeah. But I mean, on the on the national level. They make it difficult. Yeah. It should not stop us. And I think, you know, one by one by one, we have the responsibility to go after it. But I think that if you look at society today, you know, legislation does make things difficult to bring those things out. Into the you know, I think it's unfortunate that we live in a world where if you were to ask an unbeliever, how does a Christian view abortion, they would come up with very negative terms about how we respond to abortion. They would say we're militant, we're incompassionate, we're uncaring, we're mean-spirited. Because what's the vision they see in their head? What what are the only TV clips they've ever seen? Westboro Baptist, right? (laughs) With their ridiculous, obscene agenda. Because because we don't speak up as a larger church body, that's our advertisement in the world. Westboro Baptist. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's terrible. But, But the good stuff that's going on in the local church, like the village church... You know, unless you're a member of this church or you know somebody who's a member of this church, you probably don't hear about it. You know, I, I would contend that we need to be doing a better job as a church body. Uh, I don't know if advertising is the right word, but engaging in the community so that when these things come up, you know, we might be two or three people removed from that situation, but we could hear about it and we can plug those people into a place where they would be counseled properly. 
and they would have a different perspective perhaps than by just going to Planned Parenthood. Well, let's face it, the pro-abortion side and, and the media would generally fall into that category, you know, would want to publicize the Westboro Baptist Church so they can demonize anyone who's opposed to abortion. It's sensational. I get it. And then lastly, I want to I want to wrap up very quickly here because we, we want to do something uh, at the end. Uh, the global church, and this is the capital C church. Uh, uh, you know, how can we, as you know, men and women who live in Bartlett, Illinois, impact the global church for this particular topic um, or for topics like like this? Can we? Imagine having a conversation with the director of that clinic and saying, do you guys do any kind of Christian option counseling? Right. I mean, no. Yeah. Could I have a, could I come here one day a week? I know. Or, I, yeah, or could you maybe like. give us a crack at these people? You know, you don't know. So pray that I do that. There you go. <laughs> but you, you had the right answer here, the global church. I mean, the only way that we can impact the global church outside of those of us in the, in the body that are of a stature that can write books and preach and do stuff like that is to pray, right? We need to pray consistently for this topic. And this is something that I pray about a lot because I, I'm i disappointed a lot in the way we respond as Christians in our in our society to things. I think we come across as mean-spirited, closed-minded, judgmental. And, and, and I know that's not who we are as people. And But unfortunately, that's the way we're portrayed and that's the perception that we have with a lot of non-Christians. So my prayer is constantly... That that the true face of Christianity would would shine through, where you know it's it's compassion, it's it's love, it's truth, um, and it's gentleness, and and not all of those other things that so often are out there. So that would be my suggestion. Um, anybody have a different different thought on that? We were talking a while ago about Christian counseling centers. Yeah, we have them. It's called the church. But the church has abdicated that responsibility to be active in counseling. We kind of pick and choose the stuff we like to counsel about, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, just a plug. You get more. <laughs> I, I was hoping you'd take <laughs> the bait there, bro. Out there, I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. To the extent that anybody wants more. Um, yeah. Uh, handles to navigate um, yeah. soul care. It's uh, yeah. up in I threw this in here because this is the stuff that just it just hurts me yeah. when I see it. Um, and I know that people, I know most of the people that engage in this stuff don't, except for the people that shoot abortionists. I think they're in a different place altogether. But people that put the babies on the spikes and stuff like that. I think they they think that they're making the right impact. And, and really, they're just, they're just offending people, and uh, that doesn't help. Uh, lastly, I just want to leave you with Proverbs 15, um, and this kind of goes to Timothy as well. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So when we're confronted with topics like this, um, we need to remember these words and uh, be a vessel for the Spirit to work. Uh, And don't bring our prejudices to the table, necessarily. All right, lastly, um, I wanted to invite a couple of our friends up here to, um, to do a little dramatic presentation that I think might illuminate this topic a little bit more for us. Come on up. Thank you.
stress and have trouble sleeping, I get up and do chores that should have been done months earlier. It helps me put my thoughts in perspective, actually. Well, come on, get cleaned up and presentable. Here, I'll help you. Remember, the receptionist said they're heavily booked today. If we're late, we'll lose our place. I've decided not to go through with it. You're not serious. I don't understand, Carol. Yesterday, after your counseling session, you seemed certain of seeing this through. What could possibly have happened between noon yesterday and early this morning? I saw and spoke to my unborn child. Excuse me? Sit. Coffee? I'm sitting. I'll take a pass on the coffee, thanks, Carol. Relax. I'm sure it was a dream, a vivid and revealing, but a dream nonetheless. I actually saw myself coming down to breakfast in the usual way, except when I approached the kitchen, I discovered a little girl sitting there, right there where you're sitting now. Oh, she looked about five or six years old and was crying bitterly. I tried to find out who she was, but she kept asking, Why don't you like me? Why don't you want me here? To calm her, I prepared a cup of hot cocoa, but when I took it to her, she was gone. And sitting in the same chair was a girl about 15 or 16. I asked the team to help me find the lost child, and her reply was, There's no one else here, just you and me. Then I heard some strange noises coming from my bedroom. I'll have that coffee now. Opening the door slowly, I could see that my grandmother's old trunk was open. Sitting on the floor in front of it was a lovely young woman. She was happily looking through old photos from my albums and was naming members of my family. She looked up at me and quietly asked, Why am I not in any of these pictures, Mother? Suddenly I could see myself lying across the bed, sobbing in grief and regret. When I woke up and found my pillow tear-stained, I couldn't find any rest. So I came down here and started painting. Carol, I don't know what to say. Call it conscience or divine intervention, whatever. I, I just can't turn my back on this child. She's too real to me now. I suppose you thought about how drastically your life could change giving birth at this point in your career. I'm sure you're aware your recent promotion is only the beginning. Do you know what you'll be giving off? I know it won't be easy, but, but I'm willing to share my life, my whole life with this child. She walks across the room, paintbrush in hand, and dials the telephone. Hello? This is Carol, you're 915. I'd like to cancel, please. Yes, yes, thank you. Regrets? No regrets. Carol and Ellen click brushes as though they were swords. Let's paint that guest bedroom pink. Fine with me, but what if it's a boy? Uh oh. Well, <laughs> 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 
guys for coming today and, and engaging in this topic. Um, this is a big one, and I just ask you all to go and, and continue to pray about this. And um, if ever someone in your life, uh, you know, you hear of it comes up against this topic, um, please steer them toward the church. Please steer them toward somebody who can counsel them properly, and uh, and let everybody know so we can pray. Um, John, would you like to close us today in prayer? Sure. Thank you. Lord God, thank you for this uh, time together that we've had. Thank you for your truth. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would grant us uh, wisdom concerning this. And that we would uh, show mercy and, and really have the mind of Christ in regard to this issue. Uh, Lord, we just pray now that you bless us as we go from here and, and uh, that we worship you in spirit and in truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <sighs> you.